The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. That time of the week where we do Know Your Foe and one of our really good friends. Been on the show a number of times. Alex Cazora is here to talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers. Alex, great to have you back again, buddy. Thanks for having me on, Ken. I appreciate it. Uh, okay, so uh, let's let's talk about the Steelers and, <laughs> and uh, the 2021 season. I'm sure not exactly what you expected, probably, uh, starting the season. A great defense, certainly. Uh, you know, hope for a comeback from uh, Roethlisberger at, at this age. Uh, uh, 
kind of talk us through first of all what the off season were moves that were that got you here. Actually, before we do that, let's let's talk business a little bit. Uh, <laughs> where can folks find your work? Sure. You can find me over on SteelersDepot.com. Uh, cover the Steelers top to bottom, inside and out, and follow me on Twitter at Alex underscore Kazora. That's K-O-Z-O-R-A. All right. Terrific, Alex. Sorry for missing that. We need to put the <laughs> plugs up front. We'll hit you on the back end That's again, okay. too. Let's talk off season though. So the Steelers obviously made some moves, a little bit mm-hmm. of a tight cap situation. You know, there was some talk about possibly letting uh, Roethlisberger walk this offseason. They had about a, a $19 million commitment, I believe, to, or maybe it was a 22, and there's a $19 million difference in terms of what they had to pay to actually have it play for the Steelers this year. Yeah, um, they were open to bringing Ben back, but because of the cap crunch, uh, because of COVID and everything, they had to rework that contract pretty massively. And so they reworked it. Those voidable years that'll, I think, uh, occur uh, five days after the Super Bowl, and he took a $5 million pay cut, which saved him about a million dollars for cap space this season. And so that was the start of the cap crunch. Uh, you had to lose key uh, free agents like Bud Dupree, like Mike Hilton, um, a total upheaval of the offensive line. The only returning starter along the offensive line was Chuck Wilmer for the right tackle, who technically did not even start last season, played 15 mm-hmm. games, not start week one. Um, you had the, the release of Steven Nelson, which was a big surprise, the retirement of Vince Williams, which was a surprise. And so this team really didn't make any major moves in free agency because it was about retaining a couple guys um, of their own, like Cam Sutton's of the world. Um, but it was really about building through the draft. And so you've seen a really heavy influence of this rookie class this season with their top four picks, Najee Harris, tight end Pat Frymuth, center Kendrick Green, and offensive tackle Dan Moore Jr. all starting from day one and playing significant snaps. And so that's where this team's really been built through this offseason. Yeah, it was noticing how front-loaded the Steelers' draft was in terms of the offense, that they, they went offense the first four rounds. They went defense with maybe all the remaining picks, but certainly most of the remaining picks after that. So most of their draft capital went to the offense. Yeah, first time they've drafted four players in the first four rounds since, I think, 84. And so it was very heavy offensive-focused draft. Dan Moore was a guy I really liked as a developmental tackle, and it seemed like the Ravens got beat by the Steelers by one or two picks on a couple of guys in this draft, but uh, Dan Moore was a guy I liked. They also got beat out of uh, Spencer Brown by one pick. That wasn't the Steelers, obviously, but mm-hmm. somebody else. But Ravens' big need for developmental tackle, boy, either, either of those would have really helped. Yeah, uh, Pittsburgh had interest in Spencer Brown. They were at his uh, Northern Iowa Pro Day. And so I think they had another kid this year, that uh, Penning kid, I think is even better maybe than Spencer Brown. And so maybe you guys mm-hmm. will have a second shot at uh, Northern Iowa this year. There you go. All right. Uh, is it this developmental surprises in terms of that? Uh, we can talk about the draft first. You mentioned four starters. That's fantastic, obviously, out of one draft, even your first four picks. Uh, but, but beyond that, what guys in years two and three have stepped up and now are looking at maybe an early contract or mm-hmm. uh, you know, have made a big move forward? I would say from a year three guy, Deontay Johnson, you know, last year where the drops led the NFL in drops. It got really bad towards the end of the season, got benched briefly because of it. Um, he really worked hard this offseason, Cat, and you see him at training camp before practice every day, working with coaches, he catches tennis balls pregame, pricing that on some of the, uh, you know, Sunday night football type stuff. And so he's having a really strong season by far. This team's most consistent receiver, the full-time X, uh, a good yak threat, a bit of downfield threat as well as a pair of 45-yard touchdown passes or, or catches this season and so he's really worked hard and played well overall the second year guys you haven't seen quite the jump you would have liked to chase claypool's been a disappointment in year two overall just inconsistent doesn't always play to the size and the great physical tools that he has alex highsmith had 
honestly the best training camp I've seen from a Steeler in the seven, eight years I've been covering training camp. He's played oh, he's played pretty well this year, but as a pass rusher, just three sacks on the season, both of those coming in two games, so they're really concentrated. Run defense has been an improvement, um, but just haven't seen quite the jump that you would hope for based on the amazing training camp that he had. Mm-hmm. I, I was going to guess that Highsmith would have been one of your guys there, given uh, he's, he's uh, I, I think, looked very good. Whenever I see highlights of the Steelers, he seems to be included, or when I watch a game, uh, uh, he seems to have a something he's contributing with. I, I, you mentioned the cap situation a little bit earlier in terms of the, of the Steelers having to make fairly significant concessions mm-hmm. to the cap, and I think this is something Ravens fans have really been waiting on for a number of teams, the Chiefs in particular, but but also for the Steelers, for the cap to finally bite them in the rear end and for some of the credit card spending they've done. Um, is, is this a one-time thing? Are the Steelers basically back in pretty good cap shape now looking forward? Well, it's interesting. They have a lot of cap space projected. We don't know exactly where the cap's going to land for 2022, but they don't have a lot of guys under contract. I think it's 30 guys under contract. And wow. so they projected with like, you know, $80 million in cap space, but a lot of that's going to be earmarked for, you know, the guys that have to take up the rest of the 23 plus spots in the offseason roster and things like that. So certainly it won't be as bad uh, next year, this upcoming year as it was this past year, but I think it's not nearly as rosy as people think, oh yeah, by the way, you got to find out who your quarterback is. And so that quarterback's contract comes off the books, but you got to go find who your next guy is. And and that always puts you into that great unknown. Is there a a reasonable chance for one of the big name free agents, maybe, uh, maybe Russell Wilson, maybe one of the others? There's a chance. I think if there's a guy, it'll be Aaron Rodgers because of his, I wouldn't say ties, but his, um, his whatever relationship with Mike Tomlin, you want to call it. Those guys seem to have a lot of mutual respect for each other, but I'm not sure why Aaron Rodgers would want to come to Pittsburgh right now, based on the current state of the franchise and a rebuilding team and um, a team that's, that's entering that new chapter. And I think he's more of a West coast guy. It sounds like anyway. So I think, yeah, that's always the the sexy name that, that's fun to talk about, but more likely it'll be, you know, a, a Tyrod Taylor, a Marcus Mariota, Jacoby Brissett than the wow. Aaron Rodgers of the world is my guess of it right now. Okay. So that that's really that's a concession to rebuilding in a in a major way if you sign any of those three guys. I mean, any of them I would not expect to be significant money. You know, we'd be talking ten to fourteen million probably mm-hmm. instead of Sure. You know, starting quarterback. Well, good starting quarterback. <laughs> that's uh, uh, that's interesting. So well, let me ask you just maybe in these terms is what what's a win for the Pittsburgh Steelers in terms of that rebuilding process for 2022 from your point of view? To make it just the one year process, I compare it to what the Patriots did, where last year was the, you know, you have to just kind of get through that, that crappy season and, and, and then go through the next year and you get your quarterback and you have a good free agent, you know, period and you sign a bunch of guys. And that may not be exactly Pittsburgh's path, but just that overall one year transition period where it's one year and it kind of sucks. And for Pittsburgh, probably one and a half, the back half of this year, 2022. But if you can develop guys and of course find that next franchise quarterback, that is the ultimate question and, and make that turnaround pretty quick. That would be the, the ultimate goal. Yeah. So the Ravens, of course, went through this in 2002 in a, in a big time way. And, you know, everybody was afraid because the, that 2000 team was completely dismantled after they held it together for one more. got the band together one mm-hmm. more year in 2001. And and the truth of the matter was they had a lot of good talent sitting on the bench. And, and it looks like the Steelers with their first four rounds, at least uh, this year, have a lot to look forward to for 
to up through 2024 and, and I guess 2025 for the first round pick. Yeah, I will say, I mean, I think Harris and Farmuth are, are definite hits. Those guys are as advertised. The offensive linemen, they're more questionable. Um, they're playing because they have to more so than mm-hmm. because they, they earn that job in the sense of they beat out some really sure. good competition. So Kendrick Green has certainly had his struggles this season. Not surprising for an underclassman guard who's moving to center in the NFL. You know, he was going to have a lot of ups and downs of the season. Dan Moore Jr., same story there in terms of the ups and downs of a rookie left tackle. So I don't know if those guys will be the future. Hopefully they will be, but I wouldn't put them in the same camp that the Harrison Fryman with what you say safely, those guys will be in their roles sure. three, four years from now. All right. So if I go to the Pittsburgh boards now, I mean, I, it, there's a lot of defeatism. There's a lot of defeatism mm-hmm. on the Ravens boards, frankly, for how they've played the last few weeks. They're just not looking like a team that's going oh, to only have the problem of being eight and yes. three. I'd love yes. to be in that spot right, right now. Well, yeah, <laughs> what that, was you? Yeah. I mean, it's not too dissimilar to where the Steelers were last year, a team that a lot of people said had sure. serious weaknesses and were 11-0. I mean, so, <laughs> Fair so, point. So, uh, but anyway, the, uh, the, the Ravens have, uh, uh, you know, certainly are in a little bit of better position for this year, but uh, I lost my point. No, I know. Uh, when we're looking at the boards, we see the, a lot of defeatism on, on the boards. And, and I, I, I saw this from the Browns board, too, after Sunday night's game. The, their top four things were like replacing Baker, Baker must go, Baker sucks, and, and, and some mm-hmm. other one. It's like, why can't anybody use the same thread to basically right. put the thoughts in there? <laughs> but, I, you know, this, the Steelers fans, you know, like the Browns fans, frankly, known for being very technical and, and uh, you know, well-founded analytically as a group. And it's it's interesting to to see, you know, a very measured approach like like I hear from you about, hey, you know, a one and a half year rebuild would be a win. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it just I, I don't necessarily see that same kind of thing from Ravens fans. I don't think. Not yet. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it may not be the case for Pittsburgh. That's the best case scenario kind of thing. I mean, it may be a long time. And really, it just it's until you find that franchise quarterback. Um, Pittsburgh, you know, where they went from Bradshaw in 83 to Ben in 04. So it was a lot of a lot of junk in the middle. And there were some decent teams. They went to a Super Bowl, of course, with Neil O'Donnell. So I'm not saying that they can't be competitive, but you're in an AFC with great quarterbacks. You're in AFC North with first round picks. Lamar and Joe Burrow, the Bengals look for real. And the Browns, I think, are a stable team, though. There's uncertainty at quarterback. But until you find that franchise quarterback, you're going to be at best a good but not great team. Yeah. Okay. Completely understand that situation. Uh, all right. Let's. Uh, who's who's a key player that they're going to need to retain this year on their second contract? So who do they have coming up that's going to be making bigger money in twenty twenty two? You know, there aren't a lot of marquee free agents the way, the way that there were this past year. Um, we'll see what happens with Juju Smith-Schuster. Um, my guess is that he'll go. He came back largely this year because of Ben's return and assuming that Ben retires. And there's no guarantee that Ben retires, but it's like 95% chance he's going to be gone. And so with Juju, though, because of the injury, the market being down, he may want to come back because he knows the system. So we'll see what happens there. Terrell Edmonds, their first-run pick from a couple of years ago, the team declined his fifth-year option. So that usually means they won't bring him back. They may try to get him back on a cheaper rate because the safety market mm-hmm. isn't as hot as other positions so we'll see what happens there um, but there aren't any major significant names right tackle Chuck Puma Corfo is going to be a free agent I doubt he comes back maybe he comes back on the cheap um, his play's been okay it's not been anything special so last year was kind of the gutting where you lost your Bud Dupree your Mike Hilton's the the really big marquee names of, the, of this team give me give me your analyst view of what dollar amount would you pay Roethlisberger on a one or perhaps a two-year AAV deal to keep him around for a transition to a new guy that might simplify things in terms of uh, you draft a second-round guy maybe instead of a first-round guy and you have two years of development there? 
about what he's making now, 14, 15 million per year. I think if you do bring him back, that'd be roughly the number. There's some more cap flexibility. So maybe that number goes up slightly, but you wouldn't, you'd be below 20 million. Okay. All right. Interesting. I, I wonder if that would be something Ben would do for the, for the Steelers fans basically, because that's a, it'd certainly be a, I don't know if an ego blow is the right word, but it would be a uh, concession after a mm-hmm. lot of years of making bigger money. Really, it's just can his body handle it, and and his body probably can't. And you got eighty five year old knees that he's he's working with right now. So I think it's one of those things where you just say you're not going to subject your body to two more years of this. Sure, sure. Okay, well let's let's uh, talk about the offense, and we'll start with Roth- Roethlisberger in terms of what his strengths and weaknesses are at this point in his career. Yeah, I mean it's a very similar story to last year. I don't think his play's been significantly different. Um, I think from a leadership, from the intangible standpoint of running the show, you look at that charter scheme, for example. He doesn't practice all week long and throws three touchdowns and plays really well overall in that game. Just the the leader, the guy that everyone looks towards, is a different energy and just I would say positive outlook whenever he's he's around the guys and, and obviously playing. So from that standpoint, because there's so much new with this offense, Ken. It's a new, brand new offensive line, brand new running back, mm-hmm. new offensive coordinator, new offensive line coach, new positional coaches, new tight ends coach, stuff like that. So there's just a lot of new to deal with. And I think Ben, to his credit, has dealt with that well because he's not been the best at adjusting to change and hasn't had to deal with a lot of change throughout his career, the bulk of it. So um, I think he's dealt with that well. From a negative standpoint, the mobility is, is among the least mobile quarterbacks in football. Mm-hmm. The arm strength, the ability to complete the deep pass. Um, has been an issue for three, four years now, even prior to the elbow injury and certainly post-elbow surgery and um, rehab as well. So just a, a bit limited in terms of the offensive menu um, has kind of been a way to describe this passing passing offense. All right, so there's two things I want to ask you about. One is the time-to-throw metric, which I think everybody knows for Roethlisberger is the fastest ball out in the mm-hmm. league now at, I think, 2.43 seconds I looked today. And Lamar's at 2.94. He slipped a little bit. He was well over three earlier in this year, but still half a second difference in terms of how they extend plays. Stat can be misunderstood, but it's basically a choice to extend plays. In a lot of ways, Jackson is what Roethlisberger was as a young quarterback right now in terms of always looking to extend a play, make a play down the field. Um, Is is what Roethlisberger does now with spreading uh, a lot of empty uh, you know, and I, I don't know if they're running as much empty as they did last year. Obviously, with Harris, they're probably running less this mm-hmm. year, right? That sounds about right. I don't have the numbers, but that, that sounds about right. All right. So still a good amount of uh, they have a good amount of either 10 or a one still they're playing or they or they, they mostly are 11 now. They're still 11 as a base. Um, they've run more heavy lately. You lose Juju, so you still have some some depth at receiver, but they've tried to go some more 12 personnel this year. They've had a tight end like Zach Gentry who's developed mm-hmm. into a better blocker. They're trying to obviously get back to the run run the football identity. So the numbers, it's still 11 as the base, but but 12, I think, has had an increased uh, influence in this offense. Okay, so that, that was an interesting thing. Last year, they ran all these spread 0-1 and 10. It was really a lot of 0-1, where they really had five receivers because Ebron was was on the field, particularly mm-hmm. in that first game, I'm thinking. And the Ravens really had to find a way to get two slot corners on the field of four total corners. The only game they really played four corners as part of their defense. You're saying that's not really part of what they do schematically. Right. And it was, right. And it wasn't part of what they did last year, except for that Ravens game. It was just yeah. that one hurry up. You try to catch them off guard. So they couldn't blitz that much because Wink Martindale, you know, if you're an empty, if it, you're either going to disguise, you can't disguise that blitz. If you're an empty, you're going to either tip your hand or you can't blitz. And so that was really specific to that one Ravens game. And then since then it's not been a big part of their personality. Okay. Uh, okay. That's interesting. Good to, good to have that. Uh, let's go through the offensive line. Talk about it from left to right in terms of, of what the Ravens will face in this one. 
It's a much different group from last year, almost an entirely different group. Left tackle, Dan Moore, uh, left guard, Kevin Dotson, center, Kendrick Green, right guard, Trey Turner, right tackle, Chuckle Mark Warford. And I will say there is no guarantee that'll be the five. That was the five last week. Um, you know, when you come off a 41-10 loss to the Bengals, and Mike Tomlin talked about potential changes, we'll see what happens. So potentially a Zach Banner gets more playing time. If he does, it would be at right tackle. And then I could see a core four shift to left tackle and Dan Moore get benched. So I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. Banner did not practice on Wednesday due to an illness. So we'll see where that leads his team. He's got a lot of COVID uh, issues right now. So um, overall, though, this line's been very up and down. Uh, they struggled out of the gate, which was predictable. They got better midseason, especially as a run blocking unit. You found some traction there. I would say overall, just to sum up the group, they've taken small steps forward as a run blocking unit and a couple steps backward as a pass protection unit. Ben's been sacked almost twice as, as, as much as he was last season, despite the the, the throw uh, the, the snap to throw time being about the same of where it was a year ago. So it's a young group. It's an evolving group trying to just kind of find their way um, along the way without a lot of that veteran leadership that Steelers offensive lines have had for the last decade. So it is really a, a brand new group. Well, what does Moore do well at left tackle? He's a good athlete. I think what I liked about Dan Moore coming out is he was a 40 start guy in the SEC and you're just kind of battle tested, which is probably really valuable to have when you're a day one starter in the NFL and your first game was in Buffalo where it's super loud and crowd noise and stuff like that. So I think it was a mentality um, that's appreciated. He's a hard worker. Um, in terms of the struggles, um, power is the big issue with him. The bull rush, the long arm. Uh, I think it was uh, Hubbard or, or Hendrickson that really gave him fits last week, and he got walked back on that Mike Hilton pick six. So um, he's dealt with issues with speed and power, but the bull rush and, and speed to power has been uh, the biggest issue that Dan Moore has had uh, this season. I thought arm length was one of the things, I, if I recall, I really liked about Moore. Uh, Obviously, it's not the only thing, but it is a thing. Yeah, he's over 34 inches, 34 and a half. So uh, I, I know one of the reasons I liked him developmentally was that uh, decent feet, too, I thought at the time. Feet yeah, I okay? think the, there's the tools there. It's just trying to, it's the hands and the feet working together. I think he's trying to flash his punch occasionally. And sometimes when you flash that punch and you don't connect because you're just trying to get, trying to bait the defender, then it kind of screws up your timing. So it's just been inconsistency, which again is expected. It's a tough spot to be in in the NFL. Um, but you're just trying to find that just snap to snap consistency. Okay, fair enough. And and Green, in terms of how you project his growth from this point, anything different about uh, that you'd say about him that might be positive or negative? I think it was very much the kind of guy he was coming out of Illinois. Um, he's a really good athlete. He's strong in terms of like weight room strong. He's a squatty body. Um, he's got a mean streak. The whole identity, the whole philosophy of this offensive line under new O-line coach Adrian Clem was be physical, be mean up front, be tough, because he didn't have that last year. It was one of the several reasons why this team was abysmal Anytime they tried to run the football in green did check those boxes, but he's so raw. Um, he's on the ground too often. Um, I think he's got to be better with his first punch. He's got to win early. He's a guy that's, that's a shorter arms, 32 inch arms, not a big guy overall. And he has to win early. And so when guys get into a pad into his pads, they can leverage him. They can push him back, especially in the past. You can get that, that head up nose tackle on him, trying to bull rush him. Green really struggles. And so just the overall transition to center, because he played a little bit at, at Illinois, but he was primarily a left guard there. Um, he's got to get better with his hands, better with his technique, and just better with winning early. Because if he does not win early, he's not going to win late. Did, did the Steelers set him up with a fair number of double teams? They run power football where they where they either leave him on the back end of that double team or allow him to uh, climb to level two? 
Yeah, they do some of that. Um, they've had a lot of trouble with their gap schemes and power because they'll pull that guard and then Green has to execute the back block on the three tech. And he's mm-hmm. had a lot of issues with that or the one tech. It could be. And he's had a lot of issues being able to stick and secure that block. And so it's been harder for this team to run its gap scheme this year because Green has been really inconsistent getting that back block. All right. That's great insight there. appreciate that. Uh, okay. Well, I think that's enough of the offensive line. Perhaps let's go through the wide receiver core and the tight ends included in that. Uh, take us through one by one and kind of tell us what each one brings to the table. Yeah, we'll start with the receivers. You have Deontay Johnson um, as the X, Chase Claypool as the Z. Slot's been kind of funny with Juju being out. They'll rotate guys just more mixing and matching um, this year just to try to get guys in different spots. We'll see some of James Washington. Raven McLeod just got activated off the COVID list. He missed last week's game, so he'll play this week. He's played in the slot some as well. Um, Johnson, like I said, has had a really strong season. Claypool has not lived up to that second year hype and expectations. He's not played to his size. And James Washington's probably counting down the days until free agency because he's a free agent <laughs> after this season. He's been very sparingly using this offense, even post Juju uh, injury and, and, and surgery and him being lost for the season. So it really has been in terms of the two receivers, Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool. All right. So uh, do you expect Washington to get decent money somewhere else to get an opportunity to play? Probably not because his numbers this year are going to be, I'm not sure what they're going to come out to be, 25 catches for 400 yards and maybe a touchdown. And that's not going to get you paid too well on the market, I don't think. Okay. All right. Fair enough. And and I, I was under the impression maybe it's more a case of just who I think of him as being as a receiver that uh, Johnson was a guy who played a fair amount of slot. But that's you're telling me that's not the case. He's really the X. Yeah, he's the X. I mean, they'll, they'll move guys, so he has played in the slot, um, but he's primarily the AB old X receiver role. Okay. All right, very good. Uh, tight ends, Frymouth? Yeah, Frymouth's been excellent, and and I'm not necessarily surprised by anything, but I'm just impressed by how quickly he's picked things up because, I mean, you tell me if you agree, Ken, that, that rookie curve for a tight end to me is the second largest in the NFL only behind quarterback. And it's such a tough jump for those guys to make maybe because the the college tight end is not really an NFL tight end. They don't uh, play with their hand down and they don't have to run block that often. But in fact, did that at Penn state, but it is usually such a tough transition, even for first round blue chip type of prospects. And so I think Frymouth overall, the consistency, the trust he's developed, his his knowledge of leverage and, and route running and finding soft spots and zone coverage. And this guy, when he drops a pass, I mean, you're legitimately shocked by it. He's dropped maybe two or three all year long, including in training camp, uh, because he, if you throw a ball near that 88 jersey, he will catch it. And so he's been a really dependable third down, got to have an option, which has been all the more valuable once Juju went down because that was Juju's role, that that slot option, third third and five, got to run the slant, got to run the option route, make the catch, move the sticks. When you lost that with Juju, who was going to be the guy to step up? That's not Johnson's game. That's not Claypool's game. It's not Washington's game. It became Pat Frymuth's game. And so I've been really impressed by him, and he's going to be a 10-year starter for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, that's that's an interesting guy. First of all, I was, I was I have to admit on this. I, I always talk about when I when I liked a guy in the draft, and now he's good. You know, like mm-hmm. like a Loewenu and whatnot. But but in, in terms of Firemuth, I honestly thought he was a little overrated in the draft, mm. and it's it's remarkable that he's he's done as much as he has. Was there a reason why you had thought that he was overrated? I was curious. I, 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 I had various reasons, and I'd have okay. to reconstruct from the last draft. <laughs> but I but I had I had a, I, multiple notes on why I thought. I okay. didn't like him as much, I, but it wasn't like I didn't like him as a third round pick. I just didn't like him as a first round pick. So okay. there's a lot of guys that fall into this class where I love him at 60 and I hate him at, at 25. Kind mm-hmm. of. 
I got you. And, and just last thing on him again, that, that learning curve, because he was a junior that came out and barely played this past year because of a shoulder surgery. Um, he, he missed, he played only four games at Penn State. So to, to make that transition and look like a, a, a tight end has been in the league for three, four years has been really remarkable. And then the, the number two tight end real quickly, Zach Gentry, who's kind of the big blocker. Um, he's really evolved and has improved as his run blocking quite a bit. He's a big six, seven, 260, 70 pound guy. And so he's helping this team out uh, in terms of trying to run the football. I want to go back to something else you said also, mm-hmm. which I thought was really good, is that, that the jump, the learning curve in that first year at tight end is about one of the highest positions after quarterback. I think we'd all agree quarterback is the hardest sure. to come into the league and, and, and make progress at. The, the position, I think, has become a real huge jump from year to, you know, to get to to year one is inside Mike linebacker specifically. I mean, we, we've, we've certainly seen Patrick Queen, but even the, a really good draft of inside linebackers that had Bush and Devin White, Devin White was terrible his first mm-hmm. year. And all of a sudden in his second year, he, he really took a, a big leap. And I wouldn't say Bush was terrible by any means in his, in his first year, because he certainly showed the indications were there, but he wasn't nearly as good as he was in year two. And, and he, right. and he took a big step forward. So I, 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 I think I may take that position as the, as the okay. second biggest after quarterback. That's fair enough. Yeah. No, I mean, it's like quarterback of the defense. So I totally understand that, but, but yeah, I mean, I think just, just regardless they're, they're close. And so just this Friday with play this well as a rookie has been remarkable. All right. Let's move on to running back here. Now, obviously, Najee Harris, a big new name. Uh, talk about him and maybe uh, some of the older guys, too, and, and how they're still contributing and or the ways in which they're still contributing. Yeah, Najee Harris is the guy. I mean, he is the first, third, first, second, and third option for Pittsburgh right now. He is the prototypical workhorse that Mike Tomlin's been looking for since Le'Veon Bell. James Conner had the talent to be that guy, just didn't have the health to be that guy. And so Harris was the guy, um, and, and they're getting their money's worth out of him as a first-round pick. I know that's kind of looked down upon by the uh, NFL analytics group, but um, he's certainly been the guy. He's touched the ball more than any other player in the NFL. He's playing a higher snap count at running back than any other running back in the NFL, and I think he's really um, done it all in terms of as a runner, obviously, as a receiver, um, and as a pass blocker. His pass protection has actually really improved greatly the last three weeks, and so I've been really impressed by that. But um, he's had to really earn some of those yards this year behind this young and evolving and learning on the fly offensive line and so his ability to turn it to churn out some of those tough yards and third and one and second and goal and stuff like that's been really valuable and needed for this offense is benny snell now the number two guy or who else do they have that's getting some carries they really don't have a good number two it's kind of been a roulette wheel they don't play anyone else that often to begin with the back Mm -hmm. of running back the other running backs get about maybe three, four carries a game. Um, Snell's been there as a special teams kind of a guy, one of the core guys there. I mean, he'll, he'll get carries, but doesn't do a whole lot with him. They had Anthony McFarland, second-year guy. He tore his MCL, had surgery, missed the first six weeks of, a, of the season. He's trying to get back and been hit and miss in terms of him being active or not. Then there's Kalen Balazs, who's been a, a third-down back-ish kind of guy, a bigger body, but it's really Harris or bust. Okay. So kind of the way Joe Mixon was used. And I, yeah. is it fair to say, I mean, first round draft pick anyway, you certainly hope you get a lot of value on that first contract, regardless of their position, because you have to pay market value for it after the first contract. But it, even more so at running back, it seems like you better get these guys up and running quickly because their careers aren't that long to start with. I mean, the Ravens know this because they accumulated a bunch of 27, 28, 29 year old running backs and they're all, all right. gone. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Including Le'Veon Bell uh, for a brief time. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think the the goal for Harris, and maybe there's a second contract, but it's five years and put him on the pile and start anew. You get the four years, the fifth year option, and then start all over. Because second year contracts, it's McCaffrey. It's, you know, it's the guys that everybody knows that when you give them that, that big money, it doesn't always work out. Yep. Yeah, very true. All right. So uh, uh, we we talked a little bit about personnel. 11 still the base, some 12. 
Not much 21. I'm seeing not too much. They have Derek Watt on the team, I know, so he get, must get a few plays. A few plays, yeah. It's mostly situational, goal line, third and short. Um, I don't know the exact snap count off the top of my head, but it's, you know, on average, we'll call it two, three snaps a game out of, you know, 21 oh, wow. or 22. Yeah. Okay, that's not It's much. not like Patrick Ricard over there, who's, I mean, he's been awesome for you guys. I love watching that guy on tape. Hey, we, we really appreciate him too. And we, we always appreciate when we appreciate each other's play. <laughs> uh, so let's just talk about maybe how, how they attack this offense. I want to, I want to start by asking about Matt Canada. I know the last time we talked, it might've been an off season preview for the Steelers. Mm-hmm. You were very excited about Matt Canada and what he might bring to the team. Uh, tell us about how that's evolved during the season. Whether you think you can judge him fairly with what's going on, maybe with the offensive line and with, with where Ben is right now. Yeah, I mean, I want to let the start of the season play out and just kind of get a chance to really evaluate and, and see the season in totality. I think it is fair to judge any coach regardless of circumstances, because when times are good, coaches, of course, should look good. And when times are bad, that's when coaches get paid. That's when they really have to earn their keep about overcoming the talent gap and things like that. So I, don't, I think it's fair to judge the guy, um, good times and bad. I mean, it's been mixed. I think when when Canada took over... The big things you wanted to see this team fixed was was opening script. Uh, they had been a terrible team on on first possession drives over 2019 and 2020. They had one touchdown on opening drives over that span. It was the worst in football by far. And they've had four touchdowns this year on first possessions and a field goal. So they've had five scoring possessions this season, which for Pittsburgh feels like a minor miracle. So there's, there's been a better, I think, script and better overall plan of attack. Um, some things you want to see this team get better. First down offense has been uh, poor still. Red zone offense has not been as good as it needs to be. Some of that situational play calling. Um, it has been a little tough to judge just because of that newness, because of that brand new offensive line. You're trying to rework so many pieces of this offense. Um, does Canada really feel like he's been able to to, to instill and install his offense to the degree that he wants to um, with Ben, who probably isn't his ideal quarterback. I, I don't think Canada... I think it's a misnomer to say that Canada needs a mobile quarterback, but he certainly could use somebody more mobile than Ben. And so maybe mm-hmm. in the future, there's a better way to gauge that going forward. But um, overall, I think it's been a bumpy road, but that's a good way to describe this entire offense and frankly, this entire team. So Okay, fair enough. Uh, you've seen some of the things that have gone wrong with the Ravens defensively this year. They've been far from your typical Ravens teams in terms of, of how tight they've been on the back end. They've been pretty good the last two weeks, but, but generally speaking, they've had some breakdowns on the back end. Uh, they've had uh, for a lot, for a lot of the early part of the season, they had a lot of problems at inside linebacker doing any kind of coverage. And now they seem to have got a lot of that fixed with the move of, of queen to the will roll and, and putting binds in as that, as that Mike uh, for, for, for the first two downs anyway. Uh, how do you expect the, the Steelers to attack the Ravens weaknesses this week? Yeah, I think for Pittsburgh, it was back to just, and it's a very cliche thing to say, so I apologize, Ken, but it's about just solving their own problems. You think about the Bengals game last week, they couldn't catch the ball, they couldn't snap the ball correctly, there were receivers running into each other, and one play, they pulled both guards, and both guards ran into each other, you saw that clip, yeah, (laughs) and so like, when it's that bad, it's less about what the defense is doing, and more about just like fixing your own fundamental issues, so I mean, Pittsburgh has to, to run the ball, obviously, they want to have a chance in this one. I actually, what it meant is the Ravens did it once this year also. Oh, really? So, oh, okay. Yeah, so you feel the pain. Really yes, we feel yeah. the pain. So, uh, but, but yeah, the mantra for Pittsburgh is if they can't run the ball, they won't have a chance to win. Not just this game, but any game. There's been a very strong correlation there between run efficiency. It's not about a 50-50 balance, but it's about staying on script and you know not putting yourself in third and long um, against this pass rush that seems to be growing and, and, and doing better for Baltimore. So um, 
I, I don't know if there's a specific weakness that, that Pittsburgh needs to be attacking. It's about really shoring up their own, their own issues, um, being more consistent on double teams, not falling off of blocks and things like that, just to improve that run game. And if you do that, you can build off of that and, and have a more effective offense overall. If you can't do that, you become really one dimensional without the deep, uh, the deep uh, passing game working. You really have a limited menu of plays, which is got, which is what got this team into trouble last season. All right. Incredible insights, Alex. Let's move on to the defense here. Uh, the first thing I always like to start is, is what are their base looks in passing situations and on first down? So if they if, let's start with first down, they're facing 12 or 21 personnel, which is a lot of what they'll face against the Ravens. Mm-hmm. Rarely face three wide receivers, often face one wide receiver on first down. Uh, what, what's, the, what's the most typical way that the Steelers will line up under those circumstances? It'll be either in their base 3-4 or what I call their 3-4 over front. So if you have multiple tight ends shifted to one side, they'll um, shift the defensive line down to the strength. And usually the idea behind that is getting Cam Hayward on a tight end instead of the tackle. Um, and you'll have, the, you know, you'll have a one-tech weak side, you'll have a three-tech to the strong side, and then Hayward, usually that five-tech or over a tight end mm-hmm. or Ricard, because Ricard plays a lot of you know, end-the-line kind of stuff. And so usually that either – forces a team to run weak side and so away from the strength or run to the strength and run at Cam Hayward on that tight end matchup. And so usually it's one of those two responses. Okay. That's, uh, that's uh, very interesting. They committed to linebacker team on third down, or are they playing a lot of dime this year? I really don't know. It's been dime. Um, it's been interesting. It's been kind of weird. Um, they've put, Robert Spillane in, in dime packages, who's typically a run defender, but they've had him out there over Devin Bush, who's their first round pick, and Joe Shubert, who they traded for, um, because they like Spillane as a blitzer. But they're not really blitzing a lot on in, in dime situations, so it has been kind of a strange situation. Now, Spillane probably won't play this week this week because of a knee injury, so I don't know what they're going to do. Okay. But he would be the lone inside linebacker in a dime with three safeties, three corners? With... Yeah, I mean, they've had Trey Norwood kind of play that dime role. He's a safety slash corner, so however you want to call it. But yeah, Spillane is the only inside linebacker on the field, correct? So and so Chris, with, Chris Board for Ravens fans. Okay, yeah, there you go. Um, yeah. Levine is was Levine ever in that role early in his earlier in his Levine? Career? Well, twenty eighteen, you might you may remember this. Levine's been a safety and a special teams player his whole career. Right. He's never been truly a linebacker, but he, he it was his best season was two thousand eighteen when he was the best time linebacker the Ravens have ever had in their history until 2019 when Clark was even better. So okay. it, it was a, uh, it, he just had a, a remarkable year and included that, that Pittsburgh game. He had three drive ending plays in the game at Pittsburgh all mm-hmm. in the fourth quarter. Right now he's always been good. So they mixed it up though. Uh, Pittsburgh and some of that uh, sub package has done like a one, four, would it be one, four, six, which just came. Hey, mm-hmm. just the lone defense alignment because they had a second defense alignment. who can get past rush juice. So they've had to mix up looks quite a bit. And so it's been a little unpredictable, but their dime package will have uh, one inside linebacker on the field. Okay. So what one, four, six, you're talking about like getting three outside linebackers, one inside linebacker on the field, along with six defensive backs of which one is up at that weak side linebacker spot pretty much. They were doing that when they had Melvin Ingram, and then they traded mm-hmm. him away because he wanted out. And so they haven't really done that much since because they haven't had the extra third outside linebacker. And then TJ Watt, unlikely to play this week because of COVID. It's been like I, I'm, I'm hedging a little bit here because it's been so much uncertainty. There's been such a, a mix and a rotation because of injuries and trades mm-hmm. and things like that. They're trying to find their way. So the Steelers defense has not been its typical. These are our guys. These are our grouping. We're gonna, You know what we're going to do, but we're going to line up and, and just beat you because we're better. This team is taken a step back because of all those factors and it's made this team harder to predict what what their next move is going to be okay and by the way really appreciate you doing this show when you know circumstances are not right it's always easy to get the other person when they want to talk about their team and the team's 11 and 0 yeah. as it was last year kind of <laughs> well, when your defense is allowed you know 40 points two straight weeks it's uh 
usually not going well. And, and that's this, that's the commentary. There you go. Um, defensive line. Um, I, I know they've Stefan to it lost for the year earlier, right? He's not, he's on IR. He's not played a snap this season. Tomlin's not ruling him out for the year, but he's not playing this week. And I would not expect him back uh, at all this season. Okay. All right. Unfortunately, we learned that was the case with Derek Wolf within the last couple of weeks. But um, is there, where are they in terms of rotating defensive linemen? That's something for the Steelers teams in the past, particularly with Aaron Smith and Brett Kiesel and some of those guys. I, th- I always accused them of kind of overplaying those guys. I mean, they were great, but, mm-hmm. but they, were, they were playing so many snaps with Hayward and Tewitt and, and, and the current guys they have in rotation now with Bugs and others. Are they, are they able to rotate snaps at a reasonable level, in your opinion? Well, Hayward has been forced to play as much as humanly possible because they have no other options. And this goes back to the whole rotation because last year it was Tewitt, it was Tyson Alwalu with a nose tackle, and it was Cam Hayward, and he rotated some guys behind X-Raven Chris Wormley. For example, this year, Tewitt hasn't played. Alwalu broke his ankle five quarters into the season. He's done for the year, and it's been just a mess trying to find other guys. Now, Wormley has played pretty well as a starting Left defensive end, he doesn't have the highs of Stephon Tewitt, doesn't have the pass rush juice of a Stephon Tewitt, um, but he has played relatively well. It's been an issue in the middle of trying to find that nose tackle, and I could not tell you today, Ken, who this nose tackle is going to be uh, on Sunday because Isaiah Bugs was deactivated last week. He's been a mess above the net from an assignment, alignment, even getting into a stance correctly standpoint. He has struggled with those kinds of things, so he did not play last week. They played Henry, Henry Mondeau as a nose tackle um, who's – horribly undersized and underweight and underpowered. They signed uh, Montrevious Adams from the Saints practice squad to potentially fill that role. Carlos Davis, who's on IR, he could return this weekend and play. So it's really been a hodgepodge of just trying to find anybody to, to play good run defense because it's been Hayward, a little bit of Wormley, and not much else. Louder milk is not really a nose. He's a or a three, really. Yeah, he plays five and three. He's six seven, so it's hard to play nose because you're okay, going to get sure. leveraged issues. But uh, he's played pretty well. He's had a groin injury, so he hasn't. He didn't play much two weeks ago, but uh, he's improved. But he's a run stuffer. Um, and he's run to the ball well. Um, but in terms of that nose tackle, it's been it, it's been anyone's guess. Okay, so Brett Urban is our Ravens. Yeah, there you go. There you uh, go. Yeah. I like okay. that. It's a good comp. So, uh, uh, Wormley, uh, interesting to see him play so well. I mean, I, th- I thought the Steelers got pretty – the Ravens got pretty good value for him with a fifth-round draft pick, I believe, mm-hmm. they, they got him. But it looks like the Steelers won that trade. Yeah, well, they got to re-sign him. Had they lost him uh, this past offseason, that would have felt like a big win for Baltimore. Maybe just because Wormley compared to the rest of the group just makes Wormley look so much better. But I think genuinely Wormley has played well holding the point of attack. He's got two and a half sacks this season, had a sack last week, so that's a career high for him. Um, but that, that, that's the big issue. This defensive line has struggled so much. The run defense has been poor. They're 31st in football and run defense. And that's so uncharacteristic of a Pittsburgh Steelers yeah. team. And it's been the injuries. It's been the lack of development and depth of some of the, the, the younger guys that have really been the foundation or reason why this defense has taken a step back. Yeah, that's uh, that'll be a interesting way because the Ravens haven't gotten anything done running the football this year. Obviously, their their older running backs, if you've looked at rush yards over expectation, have been terrible. But I would expect this to be a week they try and reestablish a running identity. Uh, so we'll see if it works out. Yeah, uh, they're going to go heavy. They're going to go pistol, 12, 22 personnel and just run downhill. And they should right. have success even with all the issues at running back. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I hope you're right. And I, obviously, you hope you're wrong. <laughs> I, I do. Um, uh, let's talk about linebacker and, and what they're doing there. And I know, you know, TJ Watt, very disappointing that he's out this week with, with COVID, but having a great year. And then uh, talk about the inside guys as well. 
Yeah, the inside guy's been Devin Bush. He's been the biggest uh, lightning rod of criticism uh, so far. And he's genuinely struggled this year coming back from a torn ACL. He's up for in October 2020, and he's not played well. But I do feel like there's been a bit of a hyper-focus on Devin Bush as being the reason for all of Pittsburgh's problems, and it's certainly not the case. And when you have a defensive line that's not playing well, it's harder for those linebackers to play clean, um, then that's going to be compounding those problems. But Bush has struggled to play downhill, to take on blocks, to be physical. He still looks like he can move. Like It doesn't feel like the ACL tear has really hindered his uh, explosion or his mobility and agility. I mean, only he knows the answer to those questions. So it's just me you know, saying, guessing from a 30,000 uh, foot point of view. Um, but he has not played well this year, bottom line. And, and Joe Schobert next to him has played a little bit better, but not significantly better either. And so the, the inside guys have struggled partly because of the defensive line woes, but those guys just in general, Schobert and Bush have not played well enough either. Schobert had been a pretty good coverage guy in past years. Has that held up? I know he was a guy that, that had some interceptions when he was with the Browns in particular. Uh, a lot of people liked him for that. I mean, there's very few linebackers in this league right now uh, in a long, young linebackers league and a platooning inside, inside linebackers, particularly on third down, that really know what's going on behind them. You know, that have any clue in terms mm-hmm. of being able to defend a level two to level three pass, uh, you know, from, from a spot where receivers are behind them. Yeah. Uh, Pittsburgh does ask a ton out of their inside linebackers. They have to do everything. They have to blitz. They have to cover. They're playing, you know, most, most all situations kind of football. I think Schubert has done a decent job in coverage, um, better than Devin Bush overall, just a more veteran guy, just a technical standpoint can kind of play the catch point better and understands leverage a little bit better than I think Devin Bush does. But um, I mean, again, he, for, for not playing in nine packages a lot this year, there haven't been as many passing opportunities against him. So the coverage has been kind of nondescript and not something too notable because he's not playing in as many passing situations. All right. All right. Interesting. Talk about TJ Watts here. Uh, obviously pretty fantastic when he has been playing. Yeah. The stars of this defense have played well. Cam Hayward's been excellent. TJ Watts been your defensive player of the year candidate. Unfortunately, he's had some injuries with groin and knee and hip, and now he's on, on the COVID list. But um, I mean, he's been great, but you know, not that defenses or not that um, offenses are playing him differently, but he's just been getting chipped like crazy by tight ends. They'll widen his alignment. They'll chip him with a running back at tight end, slide protection his way. And you haven't had the Stephon Tewitt or the Bud Dupree or the Vince Williams to capitalize on all that attention mm-hmm. going TJ Watt's way. Um, it's been very concentrated in terms of sacks and pressure from just TJ Watt and just Cam Hayward. And so when Watt's eliminated because of the chips in the, in the slides, um, it's really subdued and minimized the Steelers' pass rush. Okay. All right, let's 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 go through the secondary. Uh, just take us through one at a time in whatever order you like. Yeah, hopefully Joe Hayden will play this week. He did not practice on Wednesday. He's missed the last two games with a foot sprain. Um, if he does play, he'll be the team's uh, left cornerback. Cam Sutton will be at right corner. Slot will probably be Arthur Millette, uh, a scrappy poor man's Mike Hilton signed over from the Jets this offseason. A good downhill guy, very below average in coverage overall, but that shouldn't be a big concern against the Ravens team that probably won't put Pittsburgh in sub-package too often in the first place. Um, strong safety, Terrell Edmonds and Minka Fitzpatrick at free safety. Uh, Fitzpatrick hasn't played quite as well as 2019 and 2020 Fitzpatrick type levels. Had his first interception last week, um, but I think he's still playing well overall. And Edmonds is kind of your classic box safety who um, is a good athlete, but doesn't always play to that speed, especially in coverage. So, I mean, I think he's slow to process and struggles with his technique, and that causes him to play much slower than he actually is. 
Now, Minka Fitzpatrick, a guy I loved out of the draft a couple of years ago, has he been the guy you'd hope uh, as a deep safety? Meaning, meaning, I always hate when people talk about their versatile safeties. And he can play up and he can play back. And what it usually means is you don't have a free safety. <laughs> I think that was the hope was that he'd be that defining free safety for your defense that would play the back end. And he has been, and more. He's been fantastic. I mean, he's been that that post-safety this team has been searching for for quite some time. And uh, he's been a playmaker. Um, his tackling's been really good. Uh, I shouldn't say it's been really good. He's had, he's had to tackle a lot more. He's almost got as many tackles this year as he had all of last season. And when the safeties mm-hmm. are making 75-plus pl- you know, tackles so far uh, in December, then it's usually a bad situation to be in. Yeah. And so um, I think he's playing well. The numbers don't always indicate that, but he's made those impact plays and his uh, prevented some of those good runs from being great runs, but his missed tackle rate has come up a bit this year. But I think it's a product of when you're asked to routinely make those third level field tackles, you're going to miss them occasionally, and then that's going to yeah. lead to the 50 plus yard touchdown run. Right. Yeah. You want your team leader in tackles to be an inside linebacker. Failing that, I guess you want to be a safety. The worst possibility is it's a corner. You really don't want to. But that can't happen. Or you get that weird guy like, because Humphrey's tackle numbers aren't they pretty decent because he's just a really physical, tough dude. Yeah. But but if, if, if usually in a corner, it means you're getting thrown at all the time. That's also and, true. And yeah. Getting, so. yeah. You want the Nam the Osmo, like 20 tackles, yeah. one interception, just never threw at him kind of situation. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's the that's the ideal situation. All right. So, uh, uh, in terms of defending the Ravens and how they'll particularly attack Jackson and and uh, uh, what you'd expect for them to look for versus whether it's pistol or sidecar. Ravens run a lot more sidecar, by the way, this year than they have run pistol. But just this last week against the Browns, they brought the pistol back and. It seems like that makes more sense to me because the only outside speed threat they have of any quality is Jackson. And in pistol, he's the outside threat. In sidecar, he's an up-the-middle threat. And for a lot of reasons, I don't like that. But, but, but starting with the, the running backs are not a credible outside speed threat mm-hmm. at all. That's a good point. Um, in terms of attacking, I mean, you know, Pittsburgh usually brings in a wrinkle every single year of how to attack it because you're always trying to play that chess game of trying to catch up to to this run scheme. I think Greg Goodman's done a really good job of designing it overall. So last year they played three outside linebackers. I think the year before they were running that mesh charge where they would attack Jackson at the mesh point, no matter if he was keeping the ball or not, to kind of to force the give to the running back um, and then mm-hmm. to make make Lamar feel it any single time that uh, there was a there was an option player at mesh point. So we'll see what the approach is this year. The three outside linebackers package is going to be tougher to do a because watts unlikely to play and be the depth that as a linebacker not nearly as good especially after trading melvin ingram um so i think you'll probably see some of that mesh charge you certainly see this team stack the box probably play it to over front get downhill shoot those a gaps with those off-ball linebackers and, and and see if they can get some penetration and blow up a couple plays what's the ravens what's the uh steelers uh, blitz rate been like in terms of in terms of just a, a bringing numbers but b showing numbers because uh, one of the things the Ravens had a lot of problems with in recent weeks is simulated pressure and like especially that Miami game just yeah that covers your nightmare of nightmares yeah um in terms of actual pressure it's been the lowest in like a decade it's been about 25 percent this year really surprising and i think one reason for that the, the, the personality of pittsburgh's defense has changed because i think of that turnover in the secondary there's a lot more youth there more inexperience there and so it's causes team to a play more zone and b blitz less because they're trying to protect some of their back-end players because they got beat deep a lot early in the season by jamar chase by henry ruggs and other guys like that and so this team is not blitz much at all 25 percent on the season they're usually around 35 40% on this on seasons. And so um, they've shown some pressure, but it's just been a very 
different team. It's been a much more conservative defense and, and relying on that front four to get the job done. And whenever you have Watt shipped away and it's just Kim Hayward trying to do the job on his own, that pressure has really decreased and it's been a big issue this season. All right. Outstanding stuff. I noticed we're done early here. Time always flies with you, Alex, but also one of the things I love about your commentary is you get more information per word spoken or per time you know, spent speaking than just about anybody else we have on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time to do it with us. Yeah, well, I, I talk too fast because I feel like I have to get the information out because I hate being that guy that drones on and on. I just want to get the information in and out. And so I probably speed up too much. But uh, I, I say I'll work on that, but I probably won't because that's just kind of how I'm wired. As, as far as I'm concerned, your communication style is outstanding, my friend. I, <laughs> Thank I, I, you. Exactly the way you deliver the, the things, exactly the way I want to hear it. Okay. In fact, there's, there's one guy who's told me he listens to my podcast on 1.3. And the guy's he's fairly wired anyway. He's a, he's a PhD oh, wow. in data analytics. You know, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a wired up intellectual yeah. anyway, but he listens to all podcasts on 1.3, not just not just mine. And so, What a specific I, I, number, too, 1.3. That's, that's a number for it's, you. you. I think it's one of the choices. It's like oh, one, it? 1.3. Three, two, or you know, it's it's like one of the normal okay. kind of choices. To gotcha. Yeah. Uh, uh, all right. Let's see. One player on each side of the ball, maybe that matches up well against the Ravens. Well, I haven't watched much of their defense yet. I was watching the Ravens' offense last night, so I have, I'm not as familiar. I mean, I know the the scheme overall, but I haven't watched it as as particular. Um, for the Steelers' offense, one player who matches up well. I mean, is Marlon Humphrey going to shadow Deontay Johnson? I imagine that's going to be the case. They've done some shadowing this year. It's really surprised me because Averett's played very well. Okay. And and I think that they would do well to just stick with their normal uh, dominant shoulder on being to the where they're used to having it. Uh, okay. But it may be, it, we may see Humphrey in the slot. Tavon Young has been uh, hurt a little bit. He did play this last week uh, in a very limited number of slot snaps against Cleveland because Cleveland's almost all tight ends now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so to pick the player, I mean, maybe Pat Frymuth against Patrick Queen or those linebackers. I know you said there's been improvement in coverage, but mm-hmm. Frymuth has been that security blanket. And if there's going to be pressure, if the Ravens are going to blitz Ben, then he's going to look for Frymuth. So that's probably the guy. And then defensively, I'm not even sure Cam Hayward probably just wrecking stuff up the, up the middle because there aren't a lot of other guys to choose from right now because it's, it's been a tough season for Pittsburgh. All right. All right. Fair enough. Alex, uh, let's tell folks again where they can find your work. Yeah. Over on SteelersDepot.com, we'll have a scouting report up on the uh, Ravens offense and defense on Friday morning. And you can follow me on Twitter at Alex underscore Kazora, K-O-Z-O-R-A. Highly recommend Alex as a follow on Twitter, by the way, guys. And and a lot of folks, Ravens fans, cultivate a group of three to four guys at least you follow from every other AFC North team because it's a great you know mix of views on those teams. And Alex is a great one for the Steelers. Highly, highly recommend him. Folks out there, if you're looking to do an episode of 25 Years with me, I'm still doing a few more of those. Please hit me up. Two bullet points or so. Just the idea of the show in, in uh, on a Twitter DM. DMs are open. Uh, would be terrific. Again, we want a narrow topic that we can go deeply into in about 20 minutes and, and would really appreciate that. Alex, thanks a lot for coming on, my friend. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Ken. Good luck on Sunday. And we'll talk to you next week on Film Study. <laughs> This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine. 
but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.